Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. This morning's first reading comes to us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Hear ye the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall each revere your mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make cast images for yourself. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of well-being to the Lord, offer it in such a way that it is acceptable on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it, or on the next day, and anything left over until the third day shall be consumed in fire. If it is eaten, all of it, on the third day, it is an abomination. It will not be acceptable. All who eat it shall be subject to punishment because they have profaned what is holy to the Lord, and any such person shall be cut off from the people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, you shall not steal, you shall not keep for yourself wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear the Lord, your God, I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment, you shall not be partial to the poor, are deferred to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. The gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew, the fifth chapter. It is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and to take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. 
Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Last week, Reverend Doughton invoked that aphorism. It's attributed to Mark Twain, but I'm sure any number of other people could claim it. It's not the part of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the part I do understand. Yeah. The things that are plain in their meaning and direct, yeah, they can get under our skin. The Methodist bishop and uh, scholar Will Williman described a situation where he had shared a story about forgiveness. He had preached on a different text, the one that, where Jesus said you need to forgive 70 times 7. And he says something happened as he stood at the, at the door. That Sunday, um, a person emerged from church and accosted me at the door. Do you mean to tell me that Jesus expects me to forgive my abusive husband who made my life hell until I finally had the guts to leave him? Williman reports that he sort of stood there and immediately went into defensive mode and said, well, uh, um, I, I only had 20 minutes and um, I couldn't qualify everything during that time and uh, er, uh, I believe that uh, spouse abuse is a terrible evil and, um, you know, uh, I think that's what Jesus would say and he did say forgive and, and that's a lot of forgiveness and, and we have to do that and er, as he stumbled she drew up her shoulders and she said, good, just checking. Yeah. Willeman's prayer was, God give me the grace as a preacher not to protect others from Jesus. I think that's a good prayer, not just for preachers, but for all of us. Leviticus 19 and Matthew 5 fall into that category of Bible readings that seem pretty understandable. Now, granted, there's that piece in Leviticus that talked about doing an offering and not eating it the third day afterwards, and if you do that, you're condemned. I, I get that. That's, that's a little bit out of our zone of understanding. But the other part of it was pretty straightforward. And Jesus' description in Matthew 5, and that piece of the Sermon on the Mount, that's pretty straightforward. In Christian terms, we look, we think of the Bible as being presented in two parts, often referred to as two covenants. A covenant is a way by which we make our relationships right with each other and with God. The covenant makes, allows us to have a whole relationship, 
whole and in the sense of being complete and full. The spiritual dimension of wholeness is holiness. H, we are whole, W-H-O-L-E, complete, in order that we might be holy, H-O-L-Y. And when we are in a place of holiness, then we are in a special place, a place of reverence, a place of, of uh, wonder, and it is sacred ground. The two ways that are, that are often used to describe the Bible is that you have the Old Testament, which is the world is held together by law, a covenant of law, that is rules and regulations, ordinances and commandments. A common way to think about this is that the law is there to guide us so that we avoid doing the wrong things, and we call those wrong things sin. There's a labyrinth toy that I remember as a child. It was a wooden box. It was square, maybe three to four inches deep. It was hollow, but the top level of it was controlled by two levers that you would navigate. They would go either right or left, up or down. And on that piece, there were obstacles. There was a path laid out. There were holes around it, and your object was to follow the path around, move around the block, the the obstacles, but don't allow your round ball, your marble-like ball, to drop through the hole. That's a lot like, I think, what is described in the law. The covenant of law is like a labyrinth. And if we fail, we, sw- we are swallowed up by sin. As Christians, we understand that in the person of Jesus, God came to us to show us that there was something more than law. We call that the covenant of grace. That is, there is an ordering of human relationships with each other and with God that is held together by something that is beyond human law or or, or even divine law. It is held together by something else that is out there, that is transcendent, and we call that grace. Grace acknowledges that this thing out there, this, this power out there is beyond the law. It is not above it or, or under it, it is beyond it, and that this grace will hold us together. In theological terms, we say the, we receive the unmerited love of God. Grace cannot be earned. It is given. No amount of doing will allow us to receive God's grace. It is given to us, and we receive it. Grace knows that we live in a world where we do need rules and regulations, ordinances and commandments. There are so many things that can go wrong, and we need to have some guidance, some pathway. But instead of saying that we are fulfilled by following this body of prescribed action to avoid what is wrong, we are offered another way. That is the way of forgiveness and love. We are taken in when we fall through those holes, and we are made whole, not by being able to check off the boxes, but we are made whole by God's action toward us.
It must be admitted, however, that all too often we Christians turn this power of grace into another set of rules to follow. Grace is given, but then the question is, how do we receive it? We fall back on our understanding that we find grace through belief. And if we believe hard enough or right enough or in the right way, then we will be given this grace. The notion that we, if we believe, we will find it and we will do the right things is a very modern notion. Not modern in the sense of being the latest and the greatest new and improved product, but modern in the sense that representing the thought that, that we have as a culture that goes back 500 years, the age of discovery in the 1600s when European nations pushed out into the, uh, to find a new world, which is where we are right now, literally sitting on the, on the border, on one of the borders of that new world. Um, the, the modern world was shaped by the, by the Reformation, by the work of, of Luther and Calvin, who said that people need to hear the Scripture in their own language so that they can know what God is saying to them. The modern world was shaped by the Enlightenment, which was committed to reason and rationality. The modern world was shaped by the Industrial Revolution and its emphasis on efficiency and production of goods so that there could be benefit and consumption in society. We have, as a world, benefited in many, many ways by this development of the modern world. But the theological point was, if you believe it, then you will do it. And that's not always true. We can know a lot of things, but just because we know them doesn't mean we always do them. I'm not going to ask for any testimony there, but I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that all of you have probably done something that you knew was not the right thing to do. And I'm not talking about bad behavior. I'm just talking about stuff in, in general. We do things that way. We trust that reason and logic are going to carry the day. When I was in college, I took a course in logic. I thought it was going to be easy because I am a logical person. I know that. Easy A. What I learned in that course in logic is that the discipline of logic is not about what Joel thinks and how Joel reasons. The discipline of logic involves identifying and using patterns of argumentation that have been around for thousands of years. It's about inferences and fallacies, semantics and paradoxes, syllogisms and dialectics. It was not an easy A. It was not even an A. Our scripture readings today are, shared, are being shared by Christian churches all over the world, in this city and in many other places. It's part of um, what we call the lectionary. It's a three-year cycle. It's not designed 
so that it will speak to current events in any particular way other than the, the reality that we're reading Scripture again. It wasn't chosen for anything that was going on in the world. It was chosen because this is, on this appointed day, these are the readings from Leviticus and from, and from Matthew. And there's another reading from Psalm 119 and from 1 Corinthians 3 as well. This discipline of identifying Scripture for preaching and for study on a cyclical basis was really the fruit of the Second Vatican Council in the Catholic Church in the 1960s. And the Protestant churches have adopted it worldwide in many places, and we use it, maybe not every Sunday, but we use it as a touchstone. I discovered this week as I was preparing this sermon a sermon that was preached three years ago on Leviticus 19. It was preached by David Lewicki, who is the pastor of the North Decatur Presbyterian Church in Decatur, Georgia. He preached it on uh, day one, which is a, a radio ministry of sermons. And uh, it so happens that before Reverend Lewicki became pastor at North Decatur Presbyterian Church, I was their interim pastor. So I felt some sense of connection with him. Um, and his sermon highlighted Le the Leviticus 19 passage. He said it's about holiness. It's about finding ways of being whole with God and with each other. It's about finding ways of making the world right, complete, full in our lives together. Be holy as God is holy. That's the second verse from chapter 19 of Leviticus. Be holy as God is holy. Reverend Lewicki put it this way. Think of Leviticus as a user's manual about how a person comes to live a holy life and how a community becomes a holy witness to God. A user's manual. A good way to think of that. Jesus knew Leviticus, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah and the Old Testament. They were the basis of Scripture when Jesus lived. And in fact, the New Testament took several hundred years to, to complete and to put together. But Jesus knew Leviticus. And when he was asked, what is the great commandment, he quoted first Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, verse 18. So Jesus knows Leviticus, and, and he says to the, the people who were gathered with him as, at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, you've heard it said that there's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said to love your enemy and to, to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus continues, ramping it up, I say to you, don't try to get even. I say to you, if someone comes after you for your shirt, then gift wrap your coat as well. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them. I say to you, let those seeking to bring the worst out in you be the occasion to bring out your best. Now, that's not what's in the Scripture exactly. 
but I think you get the point. It's there. It's, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I say to you, go that second mile. I say to you, give of the beggar who comes your way. Another way to say this is that there is more to life and faith and following God than what you and I think. In seeking to follow God, we create our own paths of holiness. We take our understanding, we take how we listen to Scripture, we take what gifts and resources we have, and we fashion our own patterns and our own holiness code, as it were. In Leviticus 19, there's some portions of that code that we may not find particularly helpful. As I alluded to before, those, those verses in the middle there about sacrificing to the Lord and eating the food and not eating the food on the third day, we don't sacrifice and eat the food. We wonder what that might be. I, I can't begin to deconstruct that. If you continue reading in Leviticus 19, even in the next verse, in, in verse, ni- verse 19 of chapter 19, there's a prohibition. It says, you shall not mate two kinds of animals. You shall not sow two different kinds of grain in the same field, and you shall not make a garment of two different kinds of fabric. I won't pretend to understand all the stuff that's going on in the ancient world, but I I do know and think that modern science is proceeding at an incredibly fast pace in animal husbandry and medical research, and it might have run afoul at some point of that commandment. I don't know all about agricultural science and production, but I have to think that maybe there's a time when different grains are put together to grow a new crop in a field. And I'm pretty sure that almost all of us are wearing clothing that's made of at least two different kinds of fabric today, maybe even more. Now, I say that not to ridicule the old, but to point out that there's a tension there, and we have to live and move seeking out our relationship with God in this world that we inherited. We didn't create all this stuff. We walked into it, and we can't simply undo what we know. We need law. There is no doubt about it, and we must live in grace. Reverend Lewicki described that every church must have its own kind of holiness code, its own kind of rules that it creates to help that congregation make their way in the world. He suggests that his congregation in Atlanta does, does it with these kind of rules. You could put them in this format. You shall use inclusive language for God in worship. You shall not make homophobic, racist, xenophobic, or heterosexist remarks. You shall not use anything but fair trade coffee in the coffee hour. You shall recycle all recyclable things, and you shall compost when possible, for I am the Lord your God. When I read that, 
I had to laugh because that is true. That is true of that congregation. It's not true of every congregation. It's not true of this congregation. But that is how that congregation is seeking out ways of making their world whole, living together with holiness. And we do it too here in Columbus, Georgia, in Fayetteville at Fellowship of Love. Every church does it in some way or fashion. I just threw a few up on the wall to see if they would stick with us. You shall use glorious music when you worship the Lord. You shall seek to serve in as many places as possible in the community. You shall ensure that there is always a meal when you have a meeting. Yeah, we do that. We do that. These are ways in which we seek to try to find and make our world, our community, represent the wholeness that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. I would challenge you as individuals and as part of this body of Christ or whatever part of the body of Christ you are in, I would challenge you to think about and to speak about all that is holy, all that is good. Jesus said, you have heard it said, the old is there. But I say to you, the new takes the old and ratchets it up and offers us a way forward. Know the law, accept the grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.